weekend is not complete without the First Lady of New York Radio. It's the Joan Hamburg Show. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Welcome to the Joan Hamburg Show. And I'm going to say welcome to New York City. There are so many things going on. I took myself for the second time to the Jewish Museum in Manhattan where the show New York 1962 to 1964 is so fabulous. It's from artists in the early 60s, from magazines, from the civil rights movement. It's all there, and it's quite fabulous. I loved it and beautifully hung. It's, I just couldn't stop. And it's so easy to walk through it. So come on in, take yourself to the museum, and then when you come out, walk to Madison, you're on 5th, and turn left, and there's a little bakery. I think it's part of the Sedamezzo family, and they have outdoor chairs, and they have a nice sort of glass-enclosed area, again, outside, and have a delicious little something with a cappuccino, iced or plain, and it makes for a lovely morning or afternoon. And by the way, the Jewish Museum is open on Saturday, too, which a lot of people don't realize, and there's no admission charge on Saturday. So it's a wonderful thing to see. And I'm going to tell you later, too, about all the theater I've seen and all the great shows So enjoy. We have a wonderful show today with great actress, singer, writer, director, Christine Eversall, and wonderful actor, John Slattery. The Joan Hamburg Show, Sunday at 2. The First Lady of New York Radio. This is Joan Eats. Coming into Manhattan, there are a lot of good shows opening at the various museums. In fact, there's a fabulous show at the Jewish Museum on Fifth Avenue and 93rd Street. But all of the museums have interesting and good shows or whatever. You're coming in to shop. You just want a little adventure in Manhattan. And you don't want to break the bank when it comes to lunch and dinner. So let me tell you about a seafood, casual seafood chain, which has six locations in New York called Seymour's. Did you ever hear of the meatball shop in Manhattan? It's good. I like it. Well, the owners of the meatball shop is one of the people behind Seymour's. Very casual, a fish shack menu. It's S-E-A-M-O-R-E-S at 278 3rd Avenue between 73 and 74. 21257, no, I'm wrong. 212-597-9220. And their wild-caught seafood they say, is caught 24 to 48 hours before you eat it. And their website, Seymour's.com, gives a list 
of all their sources. What I like, we were just there the other night. They have very nice outdoor, if you don't mind being a little nippy. They have tacos on the menu, which at dinner time is not that usual in this kind of restaurant. And they're under $20. They have really good salads. The main dishes are delicious. I was with my cousin Nancy, who's a great cook and loves really good food, and she had the red curry mussels with eyes. They were really good. They have lobster mac and cheese. They have fish and chips. And if you don't eat fish, well, you wouldn't go out of your way to cut here to come here, but they have steak frites. They have a burger. And I think they may have a steak, but basically it's fish. And the mains are really, really good. I absolutely enjoyed my dinner. And I had the daily catch. The price was good. And they come with sauces. It's a good place to know about. And we also started with crispy squid. It was delicious. You know how you can get calamari in a lot of restaurants and it's tough and chewy. This was almost like tempura. It just melted in your mouth and the squid was so tender. And a lot of people were ordering buffalo shrimp, crispy shrimp with an herb ranch dressing. They have oysters. They have all kinds of sushi and soups. I think you're going to like it, but you absolutely need a reservation. So I'm going to remind you again, 212-597-9220, Seymour's, S-E-A-M-O-R-E-S dot com. The First Lady of New York Radio, Joan Hamburg. Entertaining and informative. Talk Radio 77 WABC. It's wonderful, it's you should care for me. Soulful Singer, you've seen her on the CBS sitcom Bob Parts Abasola, a brand new album which is going to make you so happy, and you're going to again reconnect with Christine's amazing life. The album is called After the Ball, and you can get it through Club 44 Records. Well, I've been talking to Christine since she came to New York moved to New Jersey with her kids. And it was all after her agent, when she called to check in one day to see was there anything going on, any work, and he said, sort of a little snide, well, you are, and he mentioned an age, meaning she's too old to work. And 
You just want to hear that from your agent. It's a good way to start the day. <laughs> so tell me what, what happened after that. I mean, you know, the agent is God, and God said you're too old. Oh, my gosh. Well, first of all, I just want to say I'm so happy to talk to you. Oh, my gosh. It's been such a long time. And, you know, like you said, I've, I've just, I feel like, you know, my career is just parallel with, with knowing you and talking with you and, and checking in with you. So, um, but here I am. After I was over the hill, you know, I was too old to work 30 years ago. <laughs> and it's right. uh, been going on ever since. And, and but, yeah, no, the, the, the album, I'm, I'm just, I'm very thrilled about the album with Club 44 Records. And it just, uh, it, it's a very personal album it, it's about really about empty nesting when the children grow up and leave and uh and you're nearing your dotage <laughs> that's you know and trying to hang on the best you can i still yeah. remember when you came here and i said what made you move i forget was it maplewood or yeah maplewood new jersey maplewood mm-hmm. and it was we're still there you, you didn't even have a clue you know, you just moved to New York, moved to Maplewood. And I remember that I think it was your daughter. Was she the swimmer? I mean, you had all these things going on, three kids. And then gymnast. Yes, she was a gymnast. And now I take it that they're all out of the house. I remember your yeah, mother mm-hmm. was living with you. You had a packed yes, house. that's right. Oh, my gosh. That's that a good was, memory, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a long time ago, and you yeah. got a Broadway role. You barely unpacked. I know. It was, uh, I guess we moved from um, Hollywood to Maplewood. That's why I say what a difference a leaf makes. Right. Uh, <laughs> that, was in, that was in 1999. Wow. And we're still in the house. We're still at the same house. Yeah, only this time the, the kids. Yeah, the kids are gone, and here mm-hmm, you are. Yeah. What two Tonys later? Twenty Broadway and off Broadway shows. Yeah, and now I'm in Los Angeles. Right now, I'm speaking to you from Los Angeles because I'm doing Bob Hart's Abishola. So we have an apartment here in LA. So it's we're kind of bi-coastal for now. Um, you know, the house is in New Jersey, and. And uh, we have a, a beautiful apartment here, and you know I'm working at Warner Brothers. And are you having fun? Is it enjoyable? I'm having a blast. I'm having a blast. It's such a fantastic cast, and it's just you know I'm so grateful at at my age to be able you know to just still be on the playing field. Well. You never were off the playing field. I don't think I ever knew a performer who did more Broadway shows than you did. And yet I remember you once telling me that of all the shows, when you played Edie and Little Edie in Grey Gardens, that that was really a powerful experience for you. It really was, Joan. It really was. and It was, it was kind of life-changing, really. That was 15 years ago. Yeah, and yeah. that was that was a big thing. But why was that one in particular? And I think I've seen everything you've been in, and I love that. But why was that in your life, the one that had the mm. biggest effect? 
partly, you know, was uh, playing both of those roles, you know, little Edie and 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 the mother, big right. Edie in Act Two. But um, I don't know. I think it was like an identification in a sense of um, this person who is born into this certain segment of society that you know where her her aspirations were frowned upon and uh it was just sort of like how a a a caged bird becomes free you know in a funny odd way because because it was really when they were in high society they were in a gilded cage but then when everything fell apart they were kind of they were free to be who they were in the in the rubble, you know. Right. It was an odd kind of mix, but it it just uh, it, it was very special. It's very hard to describe really uh, about it, but of course the music and the and <clears throat> the lyrics of Scott Frankel and Michael Corey and you know Michael Greif and William Ivy Long and I mean just the the you know, Mary Louise Wilson, just that, like the amazing cast and and the, the direction and the music and all of that. I don't know. It's hard to describe, but it was very life-changing. No, and you work all, all the time. Licorice Pizza, that was... Yeah. Lucy. And that was during the height of the pandemic. Yeah, well, when everyone thought they weren't going to work. And the truth is, most people didn't work. I know. It's unbelievable. No, it's unbelievable. I don't know how. I don't understand it. I really don't. I'm just uh, so grateful. And um, I'm just so appreciative. (laughs) But you're good. I mean, if you weren't good, it it wouldn't have happened. And it's good. Well, I don't know. There's There's something else, I think, that really goes into it. And that's. Just, I guess, perseverance, really, you know, yeah. through through the storm and all that. Yeah, you, right. Never you, give you up. You still keep going, you know. Never give up. And it's also something, you, your mother, if you're lucky enough to have a mother that thinks you are perfect, that you can do anything, be anything, <laughs> That that is very helpful in getting yeah, no, through. I, yeah. Well, that was my father too. You know, my father was really the champion. You know, he was a he was when I when I was doing on the 20th century and I was understudying Judy Kay and I called him on the phone and I said, Dad, I'm going on tonight. Got on a plane from from Chicago, flew to New York, and sat in the front row oh. that night. And that was but such that's a the big kind break. Of, you know, my I had very supportive parents, very supportive. Yeah, absolutely. So I was very blessed in that sense. You know. Now, of the three kids, any of them interested in going in the business? Yes, my son Elijah actually is doing a play in Brooklyn right now, called um, Oh my gosh, something to kill. It's um, I'm forgetting the title. It's um, it's one of those kind of interactive plays yeah. that uh, where you um, you know you go from room to room. The audience goes from room to room, and they solve the murder mystery. You know, that oh, kind that's of thing. yeah, that's big. Yeah, super fun. I went to I got to see it when I was on hiatus, and I went back. He's that, wonderful. 
You know, I we sang together great. on stage when he was like 20 years old. We, you know, he, he's very talented. That's and fantastic. He has that, you know, that je ne sais quoi, you know. Right. So are the three of them out of the house already? Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, that's got to be. And here in L.A. Maymay's here in L.A. Aaron is, is working at the media department at Rutgers University. He's the baby. And because uh, he was he got a degree in graphic design um, at the University of the Arts in, in Philadelphia. Good for and him. And Maymay's uh, working um, in Los Angeles. And, you know, so she's nearby. I'm so grateful in that sense, you know, that that my beautiful daughter is here. So. We get to hang out, you know. Right, I know, and it's hard when they. So I'm not completely alone. Leave. And Bill is is you know Bill is holding down the fort in in New Jersey, and we have these. Um, we don't have any grandchildren yet. I'm still hoping, but um, they're young, of course. But, yes, of course, but you know, time know. moves on, and uh, <laughs> you know how it goes. But uh, does but he have? have two, uh, our grandchildren now are. Uh, miniature dachshunds. So <laughs> they're so cute. They're not the wired hair. The animals, Joan. Don't forget. Remember this. The, all the the millions of pets we have. We oh my stop. gosh. Oh my gosh. And you had a bird. That's. Do you still we have? We do. All... We still have the bird. That Big bird. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. I, we do FaceTime together. Oh, you are too much. <laughs> so <laughs> between the doxies, <laughs> the bird. <laughs> oh, it's very funny. And so we so, have four cats and three dogs and a, and a cockatiel. So Bill is taking care of all these other yes, children. Yes, you know, and, and of course the house. You know, that's always that's always something to, you know what I mean? There's always yeah. something, when those old houses especially, you know. I know. I live in an old house, and there isn't a week, a day, when no, something doesn't right. say, yeah. Yeah. You better yeah. call the plumber or the contractor or something. I, how many things can go wrong? But they do. Everything. No, everything. Yeah, but tell so me. I'm coming back. I'm going back in November because I'm being inducted into the Theater Hall of Fame, which I'm really thrilled hey, about. That's, that's on big November time. 14th. Yeah. And then um, New Year's Eve, I'm going to be up in Provincetown with Billy Stritch. Oh, well, you work a lot with Billy. That's fantastic. It's been a while. I mean, I, we were down in um, New Orleans last weekend. It was the first time that I was singing um, and did an evening of performing, you know, since the lockdown. So it had been wow. like almost three years. It is, it, um, you know, and all those doubts and fears kind of creep in. I think it did a psychological number on, the, on most people. It, well, it you know, did, and yeah, absolutely the, did. You know, like psychological warfare. But, um, but you know, again, it's just how you prevail. You know, it's like you just got to keep going. You know. Yeah, but you're good at that too, and well, you, 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 yeah, but it's You know, I, I mean, I, I try to to remember that because a lot of times your fears can really take a hold of you. You know. And you well, think it's over, and you think it's you know too late, and it's already passed you by, and you know it's not going to be possible now. And, and you look know, at how as you're getting at, older, and all that kind of stuff. And you know, well, it's it's really you know what I think it is, Joan. I think it's just a matter of how you can feel useful. 
Well, if you can still be useful, and that's in any form, in any form, it's not just performing. It's like you know, helping out a neighbor, or you know, being able to make bake bake some banana bread, or you know, cook a meal, or you know, just something like that. That just you feel that you're do some gardening, you know, uh, pull the weeds, you know, right. something that that where you can be useful, you know. Well, and, and, and you, you have a task. Well, and you know how to do it, but I'm curious, after the ball, which Club 44 Records has come out with, what brought that out? Did they go look for you, or did you say, this is something on my list, I want to do it? You mean to make an album? To make a new album. Yeah, I think it was just really the inspiration was um, what came out of, of the children leaving the nest and going off to college. This was six years ago. I was asked to do a, um, a concert at, well, not concert, you know, to do a, a stint at the Carlisle Hotel. This was in 2016. And we were in Chicago doing War Paint. Larry Yerman, who was the musical director of War Paint and Grey Garden, he's the produ- one of the producers, you know, me and him produced the album. But we decided to after we were asked to go into the Carlisle, which I did the evening with Larry Yerman, and that was the impetus behind it, was the, that was the inspiration behind it, was the children leaving and, and how, you know, and what that made me feel. And then again, it's sort of like your identity is sort of wrapped up in that. And it's like after they're, they're growing up, it's like, well, 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 what do I do now? You know, kind of thing. Right. It's like, who am I? You know, where, where do I go? What do I do? You know, it's like, are you, are you useful? Are you, are you, are you able to, how does it change your relationship, you know, with your children and the world around you? And, you know, how can you still grow with that? It doesn't end, but it changes, you know? And well, um, so that was the inspiration behind that. And, and so when we did the concert at, at uh, the Carlisle and we were there for two weeks, we thought, let's go into the into the studio and make this. And it was fraught at the time because one of the players, um, his wife was very ill and, and he couldn't, <clears throat> Larry Saltzman, he couldn't uh, participate in the in the gig. And so we, we hired this amazing guitar player, John Benthal. And Mary Phantom Dorm, um, Mary Dorman Phaniff was was uh, the cello player. So we were all gathered together, but um, there was a, it was fraught. It was just fraught, and so we kind of stored it away for five years. Wow! And then we came back when the lockdown came. Um, that's when we said, "Let's go back in and see what we can salvage." We probably have to do the whole thing over again. And instead, we found, you know, buried treasure. It was all there. So, you so that's how that happened. And was Club 54 with you all along? No, Club 44 uh, Records, no. That actually, um, they came about uh, when it was ready to be released. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we found each other, and uh, it's that been was a, a really, really, really wonderful experience. <clears throat> and Christine, I'm talking to Christine Eversol. Was it cathartic when you finished that and the kids were gone? And did you feel you were on solid ground again? Yes. Yes. 
there's something about, I mean, like I say, it's a very personal um, uh, record in that sense, but it really asks the question, you know, how do you move forward with, with all of this? You know, you have this loss of like, you know, the youth and when they were babies and all of that, just this wonderful chaos that was going on. And, you know, then the house is quiet and it's empty and it's, how do you, as they're moving on, making their own lives, how do you, how do you stay youthful? And, and it, again, it, you, you have to reexamine how you can um, be influential and be youthful as a, a mother to a grown child. Right. And, and, it's and a wife and a parent and a friend and, you know, living in this world. Um, you know, with with all of this experience remembered, you know that hopefully there's some wisdom in in life experience <clears throat> that you can share with with those that you love. You know, but even with your fantastic talent and and the Tonys on the Broadway shows and everything that you do, the television, it's always been interesting to me that your role as a mother has been so strong and that need to parent and be so present, it's not that usual for people who have all, well, because so many people who don't know you, you know, really personally know you as a talent, they know about Broadway, they know about your gorgeous voice, but it's your mother role that is so strong in your life, as along with the entertaining and the singing and the Broadway. Well, I think that's because um, you know I think what you know having the career that I had or have, but it's mostly had you know, in terms of when the kids were growing up. There was a lot that I missed out on, you know, and I think that. Um, that was a struggle for me because that I didn't like that, you know, and it's, it's, it's really kind of erroneous to say you can have it all. I don't, I don't think that's really true. If you have, if you have a life on the stage and life in, 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 in a career that way, that many times, oftentimes the children are sacrificed in that sense. Mm-hmm. In other words, that you, you know, I mean, of course, you know, you have to have a roof over their head and <clears throat> food on the table and, you know, things like that, clothes on their back. Right. You have to be responsible for that. And at the same time, the nurturing that that goes with, um, you know, the traditional roles of motherhood um, are, are not, you, you can't, you can't do it all. Because you're on stage, you know, at at bedtime, you know, singing the 11 o'clock number and wondering if they brush their teeth. So, you know, it's very conflicted in that sense. But but they um, got it. But in the end, but in the end, but in the end, the motherhood is is the legacy. Exactly. (laughs) That's what you pass on. I don't, you know, it's like you pass, you can pass on your Tonys. It doesn't mean anything. <laughs> well, it does mean something, but it's not like. No, but it doesn't in the end, in the end. It doesn't right. in the end because it's really, it's your your relationships. It's your relationships no, with I, your children. No, I believe that. I think it's really important. And 
You know, when my daughter was little, she used to say to me all the time, you're not here when I need you. You're not a milk and cookies mommy. Yeah. I never forgot the milk and cookies mommy. But the truth is, I thought I was there. You know, I was there as much as I could. I would sit down to dinner with them all the time. But, you know, kids have their perception. I didn't even get that, you know. Well, Mm -hmm. that's right. But they had... They had something else, and they had a father, too, who was very mm-hmm. much a presence in their lives. Yeah. Not to mention a yeah. talking bird. Not every kid has that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, visiting your house was quite an adventure for most people. It was zookeeping. <laughs> That's right. I mean, they had a lot of other experiences. That most kids couldn't dream of. <laughs> that's oh, true. But you see, that's funny. the thing is that that's the beauty of motherhood. It's ongoing. Right. It's ongoing. You never stop being a mother. Right. And even though and it do changes. Your kids, do your kids today t- tell you how they feel? Well, certain ones. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Certain ones can do that, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, everyone has a different enough. personality, but it's like but the love is the, 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 the love is for all and the love that I feel from all is is equal in that sense, you know. Well it's genuine. It's I love talking to you and I want to remind everyone out there, it's a gorgeous recording after the ball. It's a new album from Christine Eversall. Club 44 Records is where you're going to get it wherever music and records are sold. And it's going to make you feel so good because we all go through different chapters in our life. And many of them center around family and love, and children, and needs, and it's all there in this album. So this becomes part of you, too. All the best to you, Christine. I look forward to seeing you. I can't wait to see you, Joan. I miss you. Take care of yourself. And I know, even though you think you're too old, you're going to be back on Broadway. I know it. And I'm like a witch. Oh, my. So. Okay. Your, your mouth to God's ears. Yeah, I know. He's listening. All right. <laughs> Take care All right, of yourself. Go. You too. All right. Bye-bye. You too, dear. All right. I'm Joan Hamburg, and I've been talking to the one and only Christine Eversall. Go listen. It's really special. After the ball. Stay tuned. There's lots more ahead on WABC. Taking you behind the curtain, it's the Joan Hamburg Show. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Welcome, everyone, to the Joan Hamburg Show. And every I can tell you that everyone at the station, when I said that John Slattery was coming on, was so excited. John is a great actor. He's a director. You know him from so many roles. And a lot of you mentioned your favorite, uh, Roger Sterling Jr. in Mad Men. He got nominated for every award you can imagine with that. He's acted in movies, on television, and has done 
absolutely incredible things. And he joined the season, turned out to be the final season of The Good Fight. So I'm curious and welcome to you, John. Did you you. know it was going to be the final season when they reached out to you? Uh, No, I didn't. I, I got a call somewhere in the middle of the season from Michelle King. So I took it um, personally, and I figured I was responsible for tanking the whole thing. Uh, but I found out since it wasn't my fault. No, not your fault, not your fault at all. But, it, you know, it is interesting because successful show, hot show, they yeah. just decided, what, enough is enough? I guess. I mean, I you know, as stories run their course and, and it becomes maybe an uphill battle not to repeat yourself and um, – They've never been afraid to go at issues, political and otherwise, and um, they're tireless, Michelle and, and Robert King, that is. And um, I don't know. I guess they just – I don't know what went into it. I just got a phone call um, thinking I was being you know, taken to the woodshed because I'd only right. done a couple of episodes, and sometimes you get a call to say, listen, you're thinking of it this way, we're thinking of it that way. You know, you, there are adjustments right. made in, in the course of a season of TV, and uh, I kind of figured that was the call. And well, she said, no, no, everything's fine. I'm just calling to tell you this This is going to be our last season. So, it's, which, which is quite surprising because it's so relevant. I mean, the script is so it relevant. Is. Where it, it couldn't be if they knew, looked in a crystal ball and knew what we were going through in this country and that how people feel that they can't take anymore. They need relief. And your character is, you know, the doctor who's there providing relief to people and really believes that he can make a difference. So we're sort of sad that it's the last season because it's, we're coming along on this interesting ride and this ride is not over. No, it's 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 amazing how relevant it is and how quick they have to turn something around for it because you you know how how fast those news cycles uh, rotate right. and and become old news and uh, but it is, but I don't know I guess it's I guess the, the the big picture of it is how deluded people are and how frustrated and tired they are of things not changing and things staying the same. And that's kind of what Christine's character is, is suffering from when she comes into my office. Right. Christine Baranski. Baranski, and, yeah. And the, um, the doctor, the good doctor, John Slattery, is helping her out of her misery in many ways. So Right, by... by uh, Helping you, but uh, basically microdosing. It's a, it's something akin to a ketamine trip, where someone who isn't being helped by conventional therapy comes to my office, and they, these offices exist. I don't, I didn't know much about it before this, but I've read a lot of stuff on microdosing, and and it's it's people are doing it all over the place. And, right, and hallucinogenics. Yeah, but, but in a small, but in just just to the degree to which it changes your consciousness or elevates mood or lifts you out of depression or a state of, of, of chronic anxiety or, and, and, and gives you a little perspective, a little sort of get, gets you above the clouds to see clearly for a minute. And so, I mean, people are doing it and, and, and,
and that's the reason she comes because she just feels like she's on a on a on a hamster wheel of of things not changing despite how hard she's worked to do just that. Right. And an interesting part, and when it was offered to you, uh, there were two of you who were the newcomers with Christine Baranski and Audra McDonald. So, you know, great cast and a great opportunity, especially when you didn't realize no one knew then that they were going to, this was going to be the final season, which the audience, like, don't make this the final season. We need more. We're still involved in this world that is not, you know, needs a little help. Well, it's happened before, you know, shows that yeah. uh, decided to, to, to cancel or, you know, quit. People write in or let them know how desperately they want them to stay, and they decide to change their minds. So you never yeah. know. Well, that would be good. And how did you get through the pandemic? Were you working at the time? I was um I was working right up until the pandemic. In fact, uh-huh. the first person that I knew that got COVID was a producer on a show I was doing in Chicago. Um and I came to back to New York and my wife and I and her mother and my son, our son, who was at in college at the time and they, you know, made everybody go home. Uh went out to Long Island and basically isolated like everybody else. Right. It was stressful. My mother's, my mother, my, my wife's mother is 85, 86, whatever at the time. And, and this was, you know, the, the, the OG COVID, you know, which was killing people right. left and right. And so it was pretty stressful. And my wife had it right away, right out of the gate. Mm. She got it like day one and, was, and did- she had it pretty mildly, but you know, it was very stressful. Did the rest of you get it or just your wife? Just my wife got it, and um, I got the Omicron later, as did my mother-in-law, and it was fine. She skated right through it. But, you know, we had friends. We lost friends and, and, and acquaintances and had huh. other friends get it very badly. And uh, so if they had gotten that one, it would have been a different story. No, tough. Did your son end up going back to school? He did. He graduated last year, yeah. Oh, you're kidding. Uh, Is he involved in theater or in the entertainment At this point, he's trying to figure out, no, he's an art musician and an an artist, and and, and he has acted in a few things, but he's trying to figure out what he wants to do. He's currently in Germany with some friends just kind of figuring it all out. Yeah, well, is he in Berlin? Yeah, he is. You know, it's so interesting. Years and years ago, kids would go off to Oregon, you know, to Portland yeah. to try to find themselves. Now, I can't tell you how many kids your kids' age I know who go to Berlin. And it's yeah, that become seems to be the huge, spot. right? It's a huge scene there. Yeah. He's there with so, a bunch of friends right now. Yeah, and probably having a ball. Seems like it, yeah. So once you finish this season... Mm-hmm. The good fight. Are you going to relax a little or on to the next? Uh, I finished shooting that a while ago. I just finished directing and producing a movie that um, John Hamm and Tina Fey are the stars of. And uh, I'm trying to sell it to somebody. Um, we we shot it during COVID. It was tricky. 
We shot it in Albuquerque, which was also tricky yeah. for a lot of reasons. Um, and uh, it turned out great. It's just been, we just finished it. It's a comedy about a double murder. And, um, and um, but I've just literally finished it. So I'm looking to do something else. Right. But are you going to wait till you sell it first or? Uh, no, I mean, I'll, I'll do something else and someone else is in charge of selling it. I, I've done all I can. I've made it and I've put it out into the world. And now, you know, it's a strange time to be, I mean, who knows who's selling, buying and how people are viewing movies these days. I mean, it's mostly streaming, I guess, but those, those grounds are shifting all over the place. I know that, that is the big question that how are we going to see movies? What's going to happen to movies. Right. And the truth is that if there are comedies or thrillers, you need an audience. You need to be in the theater and feel the laughter or the tension around you, and it changes the movie. It's such a good point because I just saw it. We did a screening in L.A. for distributors, and it's the first time <laughs> being because of COVID that I got to see it in a room with 75 people, and it got all the laughs that I had intended but I have been watching this thing in rooms with two people, three people. The, a big group was six people because of COVID, and and it's completely different. And it and it's it, it really was validating and gratifying to see that. I was like, well, I'm not insane. I, that I knew that was funny. And um, so, but but then again, half half of the distributors got links, so they're gonna yeah. they're, they'll watch it in their office at work by themselves. I know it's not Which, good. you know, weird. <laughs> I know. And I, I am a big comedy movie person, and you just can't see it alone streaming. It just mm-hmm. changes the whole personality. But if you're in that business, you've got a lot on your plate to deal with. And, and it is what it is. You can't hold out expectations of something that isn't realistic. You know, I, I, I kind of threw out the theatrical expectation a while back just because it does and, and i'm okay with it when i went in to make it i was like i don't care if somebody watches this on a television by themselves i'm okay with that i'd rather they didn't it, it would be better in a in a big dark theater with a group of other people but uh-huh. you know you, you're kidding yourself if you think that's the way it's going to go down yeah no we're living in a totally in a totally different world so yeah. we have yeah. to learn to adjust to it in, in, exactly. many, in many different ways. And right. when you started, you started working, unlike a lot of actors I know, it's like I, nothing comes easy to anyone, but you started right away getting parts. Well, I went to New York and I had a bunch of odd jobs and, and I, it took me about a, a year to get something, you know, I, I wandered around and worked in a law office, worked in a bakery, worked in a gas station. There was a lousy waiter, all that stuff. And, <laughs> and I eventually got some crummy plays. I did a lot of theater. I, you know, I would, I would go anywhere and audition for anything. Do it, um, right. But, um, yeah, but it, it, then once I started, I, it, I, I worked pretty consistently. Yeah. In in all of them, whether it be film or Broadway or TV, yeah. but TV ended up being a really big deal. And how yeah. soon 
in your career did Madman come along? Pretty late. I mean, I was I was 40, I think, by the time that showed up. So it changed my sort of trajectory a lot because it became so popular, um, which was great. But that, you know, I'd been around quite a while by the time that showed up. Um, and um, working. Yeah, well, yeah, all the time, plays, movies, you know, done a lot of theater as well, um, and and was fine. And um, I think I had just done a season of Desperate Housewives, and, you know, but Mad Men, <clears throat> excuse me, was certainly the best job I'd had to that point. Probably, you know, one of the, certainly, the, what I'll, one of the things I'll be remembered for, I guess, if I'm remembered at all. Um, no, yeah, don't you underestimate know. yourself. That That is going to be with you. And as yeah. well as other things, too. It's just that I don't even think the writers knew or, well, you know, you always wanted to resonate with an audience, but it hit hard and really resonated with an audience. Yeah. And people talk about it all the time. Well, so, luckily it's, at the time, it, you could it, it kind of came along with the advent of the of the DVR or or being able or TiVo or whatever you could capture it. So they didn't have to. If you missed the first season, you could go back and get it. And it, I think, it definitely enhanced its popularity by people being able to get it on demand. And and it's remained popular because of that, which is good because it holds up. It, it maybe it partly due to it's a period piece, but it's it's really exceptionally well written, um, and yeah, I think they knew exactly good. what they were doing. No, yeah. it's really good. And at this stage in your career, and you are popular. You've been and are being in major things in every kind of the entertainment world. Do you still have to audition, or? Do you hear about something or your agent calls you? It is so funny. So funny me. you say that because I'm dying to audition, but I, but, but the, but because, you know, yeah, I want to do something that I haven't done before. So you, when right. you do something that's successful, you get sent a lot of the same stuff, which is fine. But then you, you, so then you get to a point where, okay, now I've just directed this movie. Now my acting career has been on hold for a while between COVID and, and making this movie. So I'm ready to get out and do something different, but people aren't really, you know, you get to a point. I, I don't know whether they feel like they're insulting you by asking you to audition or they're, or they just don't audition. People put themselves on tape with their phones, which yeah, I'm fine with as well. Deal. Yeah. But it's, it's, so I Not don't, it, it's a funny, it's a funny thing. The world has changed in that regard too, where there was a time where, to do something that no one expected of you required you to show them that you could do it. And now it's like, I don't know. I, 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 I would relish that opportunity to show someone that I can do something unexpected. You know, I guess I everybody often, feels the same way. I, I wonder about that. My daughter-in-law is an actress and they were out visiting this summer. They live in LA and they came yeah. out to Long Island and, she was auditioning like crazy through the phone. I thought, yeah. well, how? And I certainly wasn't going to say anything. But how do they really know what you can do, even though 
that's what they're doing. It seems like it's really hard for the actor to. It is hard for the actor because you have to be the cinematographer. You've got to find somebody to read with you. You've got to do all that stuff that's, that's, that's really not, it's not fair to the actors to do that. But that's just, the, again, that's just the way the world has evolved. But being on the other end of it while directing that film, that's how I cast the movie on tape like that, so it works. Right? And you just need an indication that the person is able to make an adjustment. You know, they have an initial take on the part that might be good and promising and they look right for the part and they fit into the ensemble the right way. And then you get back in touch with them via whoever the casting director or directly and you say, look, try it this way, a little slower, a little less apologetic, blah, 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 whatever the direction, and see if they can make that adjustment. And you don't need it to be a of great cinematic quality or of, of a full production. You're only in a, even in an audition with someone holding pages, you're only looking, you're looking for a, 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 a mutability of a, a, an indication that they can work with you and make changes and take direction and stuff. So, so it, it does work. The, the taping thing works. That's how it, you know, and yeah. so it's, it's just, um, like anything, it just you got to find a piece of material that 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 clicks with you and and you fit into. So right. And do you ever feel anxiety about maybe not working again or doing the kind of stuff you really want to do at this point in your career? I do. I do right now. I do. You do. Um, but you're in. Yeah. But you're in a, a a hot series. I know, but it's funny, you know. It might be on now, but I finished shooting it months ago, and yeah. then I've done this other stuff. So, yeah, you always feel – I mean, it, it ebbs and flows like anything. You, your confidence and, and, and your ability to sort of believe that it's all going to turn out, even though you've been doing this for 35 years and it's, it's worked out so far. You, kinda, you always out. get the feeling, oh, this might be it. I guess this is it. Or you're doing something that isn't – necessarily the most creatively satisfying thing in order to pay the bills or 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 whatever but yeah you feel like that you know i'm i've I've, i just turned 60 that's a mere slip of a youth today right yeah it's (laughs) right but but not necessarily in show business terms no no so you know there's yeah you know the, the 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 cause for concern like it, like everything else, shifts and and um, changes as as you know the days go by. Some days you feel fine about it; other days, not so much. Well, take a breath because you're here for the long run. John Slattery, one of our really great actors, and you can watch him. He's in his final season of The Good Fight. And we're all looking forward to seeing what's next on the slattery plate. I'm sure something quite wonderful. All the best to you, John. Thank you very, thank you very much, and thanks for having me. I um, enjoyed it. We'll talk to you again. All the best. Okay. I'm Joan Hamburg, and you're listening to WABC. Stay tuned. We have lots more ahead. The First Lady of New York Radio. This is Joan Eats. Of 
course, this time of year, when it comes to Ask Joan, many of the questions concern Halloween. And a lot of you want to know what's going on at the Bronx Zoo, which is at 2300 Southern Boulevard in the Bronx. Just go to bronxzoo.com. And we checked, and there are still tickets to some of these events. Boo at the Zoo is a family-friendly Halloween tradition. Most of the things take place on the weekends, and they actually have a new after-hour scary evening event called Dinosaurs in Darkness, The Hatching. Now, when we checked, and it changes all the time, there were still tickets for Saturday the 29th, next Sunday. And Boo at the Zoo is the weekend event that runs only on the weekends from 10 to 5.30. Come dress, bring the kids, use your Halloween costume, buy your tickets in advance at bronxzoo.com because they're not going to sell them at the gate. The admission is $41.95 for adults, $36.95 for seniors, and kids 3 to 12 are $31.95, little kids under 2 are free. So Boo at the Zoo is a great Halloween event for kids of all ages. And they have pumpkin carving, great demonstrations, magic, mind reading, tricks. They have a spooky animal graveyard, animal-themed costumes, stilt walkers. It's really fun. And through October... It's the last chance to catch the Dinosaur Safari, which is a walkthrough where you get up close to 52 life-size dinosaurs and the like. So the zoo, too, this year, for kids 13 and up and grown-ups, the zoo is offering their after-dark haunted experience called, I just mentioned, Dinosaurs in Darkness. It's a thrilling scary Halloween walk and you go on an adventure that brings you up close with prehistoric creatures and they follow the story of a rare dinosaur egg found intact after 66 million years and it's ready to hatch. So you've got to go on, check out the time slots. But when I checked, there were still tickets for the 28th and the 29th. So check out bronxzoo.com slash D-I-N-O-S, Dinos in Darkness. Something really special for not only you, but your family. And by the way, we are now coming up to 3 o'clock. So I hate to say goodbye, but I have to. You can enjoy what's ahead and all day long on WABC. Have a great rest of Sunday, and I'm Joan Hamburg.